Broadcasting live from the Raiders practice facility at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. This is the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Joe is in L.A. Wants to talk about the Raiders. How you doing, Joe? Um, there was a couple of uh, sound, sound bites that you played earlier that I wanted to touch on. You know, when I watched the OTA presser, uh, you know, the, the two gems that I pulled out of there were from Cleveland Farrell and Richie. And he was such a Cleveland Farrell first. You know, I, I think a lot of the things he addressed had to do with a lot of criticism about himself. But he said it in a way that was very eye-awakening for us as fans that like a lot of us like to play armchair quarterback the day after. Because he, he mentioned that, you know, he appreciates people criticizing players, and I think specifically more about him, but they're not there every day putting in the work, getting up early in the morning, grinding every day, and it's easy to criticize somebody and not realize, hey, if you were in that position, how would you feel about being criticized when you know you're putting in the work? That's number one. Number two was with Richie. I think it was real important that he addressed the OTA situation because he himself, that's coming off an injury, and specifically with he addressed the rookie situation, you want to get in there as much as possible. And he made that reference about going in early. It's like a tennis ball bouncing off the walls. You want to kind of work that tennis ball and, you know, kind of get the elasticity, you know, the, you know, get used to the ball. He goes, and then when we go into training camp, we're right in there. We're, we're, just, we're just flowing through it. And so he addressed that, and I, I think those were two key things that I, that I thought were important coming out of Richie, his leadership, you know, the way he said he's addressed some of the rookie situations and him himself taking responsibility of getting in there and working from the get-go. And then Cleland was, for me, I, I awakening to seeing, you know, some of the things that he said in that presser. Yeah, I uh, appreciate the call, Joe. Um, I, I, listen, I, know, I understand. Clee Farrell was the fourth pick overall. Uh, everybody assumes that if you're the fourth pick overall, you're a future Hall of Famer. It doesn't work like that, number one. Uh, number two, Cleve Farrell has been a good, solid player. Last year, he took big steps forward. I, for whatever reason, a segment of Raider Nation just refuses to see that, to concede it. Uh, the efficiency that he played with, what he meant in the run game, his versatility being able uh, to move inside to play defensive tackle on known passing situations. Uh, he doesn't have the big sexy sack numbers. We get that and understand that. He really, nobody had any illusions that he was going to be some uh, pass rush demon coming off the edge. That's not his game. Now, can he improve in the pass rush? Uh, yeah, I, I believe he can. And will he? I believe he will too because there isn't a harder worker than Clee Farrell. There isn't a more conscientious player than Clee Farrell. I'm not saying that others don't rise to his level on this team, but he's way up there in all of those regards. And um, if you can get a healthy full season out of Cleve Farrell, remember, he missed games last year. Um, and in spite of that, his numbers were good when he was playing. He was among, before the COVID-19 and all that other stuff uh, happened, he was being ranked in, you know, by profile focus as a top 12 defensive end, a top 12 defensive end. Those don't just grow on trees. I just don't think that, I think that 
some people in Raider Nation again hold it against him that he wasn't that he was the fourth pick overall. That somebody told them that he was a reach, uh, and that because he's not sacking the quarterback, he's not doing his job. He's doing his job, and I expect him to get even better uh, in year three. He's really coming into his own, and I think he's going to be somebody that Raider Nation values before it's all said and done. He understands the criticism, um, but. What he's basically also saying is it's not just about his work ethic. It's about understanding the game, understanding what his role is, understanding what he's being asked to do uh, by the coaches and understand what strengths he has. And people sometimes just want to overlook that because he's not doing that one thing that everyone focuses on, which is sacking the quarterback. Um, and, and so, But I think before it's all said and done, people will understand uh, how good of a player Clee Farrell uh, is, has been. And will continue to be in the case of uh, of Richie Incognito, you know. And I asked him that question because of of all the players on this team at 37 years old, he's the one that le- probably needs OTAs less than anybody. But he is out here because it means something to him. And you know, I go back a month or so ago. I never felt. I said this at the time. I never felt. That, it, that the Raiders, or I can't speak for any other team, but I can speak, I believe, for the Raiders players, um, uh, at least the sense that I was getting in real time, was the heart wasn't necessarily in the vote. They voted to basically support their union, who was urging all teams to follow their lead on this for whatever, and, and, and Richie's had the perfect word for it, their agenda. You know, but 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 individually and as a team, teams, you know what they want to what they want to try, they want to try to win games right now. They're trying to get better individually, collectively, as a team, as units. Uh, they're trying to get better. They want to be a better team. It sickens them uh, that they've been close or in position to make playoff runs these last couple of years, and last year in particular really. Uh, drives them nuts and weren't able to finish the deal. And they feel like they're closer than people think. And it's critical for them to be in the building right now, uh, um, closing those margins so that they're going to be in a better position to close the deal if they're in that same position next season, being 2021. And so when you look at the union, the union has their agenda, quote unquote. They have you know, the game that they're playing, and it's an important game. They are, I know this, they're trying to protect the players, so to speak. Um, but really, in this case, they were using their players as a bargaining chip for something that they didn't like that happened or want to see happen. I think a lot of it has to tie into that 17th game, which, oh, by the way, was agreed upon in the last Players Association Owners Collective Bargaining Agreement, the CBA that was signed last summer and ratified and agreed upon and negotiated on, included the provision that between 2021 and 2022, the NFL could add a 17th game. And oh, by the way, in that um, uh, players, uh, uh, the, the, the CBA, it clearly spelled out what OTAs and off-season programs entail each and every year. It was all agreed upon. All hands were shaken. (laughs) Signatures were put to. A vote to ratify happened. Uh, Everything that's in that CBA to retroactively uh, try to change it, you know, I don't think is the way they went about it, I don't believe, um, did anybody any good. And it put people in in a bad position to have to, 
on one hand, do what they believe is right for them as individuals and as teams, and on the other, have to kind of appease the the NFL Players Association, and then ultimately say thanks, but no thanks. We're not gonna. We did what we could. We made you look good on the political or on the uh, PR stunt that you tried to pull, but we're going into the building uh, to get to work now. Richie Incognito talked about. And I know that this has always been the case with John Gruden and other astute coaches out there. They're going to listen to their players. And there's no question, no question in my mind that even had that vote never happened, had guys like Richie Incognito and the leadership um, group of this team gone to John Gruden and said, hey, look, can we talk about OTAs? This happens all the time, by the way. Can we go? Can we talk a little bit about OTAs and and maybe some some tinkering that we can do and some scaling back that we can do? We feel like this works, that didn't. And remember, this is the first time since excuse me since 2019 that we've even had OTAs. So they were kind of going. The players were kind of going into this, and coaches were going into this, um, trying to kind of get back on track of something that was lost last year. There were no OTAs last year. So coming as 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 the, the players and, and teams approached OTAs this year, there was bound to be some conversations on, hey, coach, um, you know, what would you think about this or what would you think about that? There's nobody more open, believe it or not, in spite of what you might see or hear about John Gruden being some control freak. Uh, John Gruden is actually ahead of the curve and has always been ahead of the curve on tinkering and tweaking in order to appease players so that you, you put them on a schedule that works for them, whether it's the team or individuals. He's always been pro trying to understand the complexities and working around the issues of getting players, whether they're young players or mid- middle-aged players or veteran players, through a season as best as possible. And what can you do during the course of the calendar year to enhance that, to put yourself in a better position to do that? And not every recipe works for every player. Some players need a day off occasionally. Some players need to – you need to stay on them to stay in shape, Trent Brown. Um, Other players, you know, you kind of figure it out, like what works best for them. And then you kind of try to take all of that and implement it into a team perspective and try to make it work for everybody individually and collectively. And so Richie Incognito talked today about the fact that, hey, you know, A – Right after the vote, the Raiders got together as a team and said, yeah, uh, we're working and we're not going to give up any amount of competitive advantage um, by just listening to what the union is uh, is saying. Because the union doesn't care about the Raiders team itself, whether they go 0-16 or 16-0. The union could give squat about that. That's not what their focus is. And the Raider players, that is what their focus is, whether they're talking about fine-tuning themselves as individually, as individuals, getting better, trying to work for that next contract, trying to earn a job on the roster. Um, you know, uh, that's what the focus is among the 89 players that are on the roster right now. So um, you, have to, you have to balance that. But give John Gruden credit, and Richie Incognito talked about this, about how, you know, John Gruden – has tweaked it and and worked with the worked with the players uh, to create a situation where um, you know maybe you're doing a walkthrough rather than a rapid pace uh, kind of a workout today or tomorrow uh, or whatever the case might be. So um, you know and 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 to me <laughs> there's there's a lot there there really is 
a level of intelligence and respect uh, in the NFL, whether you're talking about the players or the coaches. You know, we get this image of them as hard, you know, uh, uh, crusty old coaches and all that kind of stuff, and all they care about is banging the end to a wall and getting the toughness that, you know, they're actually pretty darn smart. <laughs> they're trying to win games. How do you do that? How do you stay healthy? How do you uh, preserve players so that they're at the best at the end of games and at the end of seasons? You're looking at all the science and listening to your trainers and your medical staff and the experts in all that. And you're on this continual quest uh, to make it work. Nobody is out there running around with no water on the field, uh, two-a-days, doing Oklahoma drills and being stupid. And <laughs> there was a time when when stupid, stupidity reigned. But it was more out of ignorance where they just didn't know any better. Now you know better and, and there's data to support it and, and science to back it up. And so you change and evolve over the years and you, you tinker with it and uh, you fix it and, and tweak it and, and make it so that it's as safe as possible, as conducive as possible, um, and as uh, enhancing as possible to put players physically in the best possible position. But make no mistake, you need OTAs. You have to be out there getting better, getting your timing down, getting your developing chemistry with your teammates, trust levels, um, getting to know guys, you know. Remember, last year, the Raiders literally, as a team, did not get together full bore until the first day of training camp. And if you remember at that point – Remember the old ramping it up period where it was just doing physical stuff. You had to, you know, uh, it was it was just conditioning because there was no conditioning prior to that. So there were like ten days of this, and then five days of that, and then then you can finally put the pads on and 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 get out there and practice. This is what they're doing now, is to point them in that direction so that the f- day you hit training camp. You're going to be able to focus on football. And by the time they do, and this goes across the league for for teams that are participating in OTAs, which most of them are, all of them are really, except for some guys on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I get that. You understand why Tom Brady and and his crew, the veterans that they are, are doing what what they're doing. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, so be it. But guys on a young team like the Raiders are going to know each other pretty darn well. By the time August rolls around, and they didn't last year. Yeah, Vinny, they don't know each other, but I think um, Cleef Earl even said it's day. doesn't really prove anything, though. Okay, what's, what, what, what is the point, though? I don't know. I'm taking it from Cleef Earl. You want the clip? I mean, he said it himself. Okay, play the clip. I mean, obviously, it's still, it's still super early. I mean, I don't... You know, OTAs is cool, but a lot of this we don't really show much. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't really evaluate guys until we put the pads on. But you know, there we well, go. Well, thank he you for it. thank you for cutting that off at a key moment. But the question was, oh, he the, just, that, was, that was just that was just random. He was he was being he was being asked uh, about his 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 opinion on a couple of new players. I think it was, and so obviously, no no question about it. Um, when the pads come on, it, the, the whole thing gets, gets, gets you know, uh, uh, jacked up a couple of more notches. And, and ultimately, that's what football is. You put your pads on and you go play. But he wasn't saying that OTAs aren't important in terms of the structure, the guidance, the coaching, the chemistry, all of that. He was just talking about, like, you can't tell right now what Alex Leatherwood is going to be able to do. 
until you put the pads on and make them go block somebody, especially on another team. Um, right now, and, and here's what a good coach will tell you, uh, um, Devon. I remember I asked uh, Sean McVeigh about this one day about you don't tackle anymore in practice, okay? You just don't do it. Even in training camp, there's no tackling to the ground. And, you know, you try to teach fundamentals. You're out there with the tackling dummies. There's, there's all kinds of um, um, drills that you could do. But the actual art of tackling and dragging a guy to the ground doesn't happen until you literally take the field against another team in a competitive game uh, in, in um, preseason, okay? So, but his whole thing was, look, I got to figure that if you've gotten to this point in your career – the art of tackling, you're, you're probably fairly proficient at it if you're a defensive player. I'm looking more at are you where you need to be? <laughs> if you're where you need to, if, you, if, you're, if you're where you're being asked to be um, or where you're supposed to be, and that comes with understanding your role, understanding your reads, uh, understanding um, you know, what's happening around you. But if you end up, and this you can tell that this time of year, if you're if you end up where you're supposed to be, generally speaking, at this level, those guys are going to be able be able to make the tackle. Now, blocking is a little bit different, you know. So when you're talking about Alex Leatherwood handling, you know, uh, right tackle, I watched him today. He did a beautiful job in terms of uh, um, they were working on a, a drill where it was him versus three guys, basically, uh, two guys that were right in front of him and somebody that was right behind them, and. What the coach would do, unbeknownst to Alex Leatherwood or whoever was in that position, was tell the three guys that, that, that Alex Leatherwood was facing and Leatherwood had his back to the coach what to do, what kind of stunts to do. And the whole drill was, can Alex Leatherwood or whoever was in that position end up blocking the right guy? Out of those three guys, based on what they're doing and what his line call was, is he going to pick the right guy eventually to block? And so at this time of year, just that intellect is extremely important. And so him pulling that off, and I didn't see one glitch, one glitch, and I watched a good 10 minutes of that. He, he, was, he was perfect in his pickups. So that's a good thing. Now, whether he's going to be able to physically block those guys on a consistent basis, we're not going to find that out until you, know, you get to actual games. Uh, for, for real, that's just how it is. Uh, but I, I think you took what um, Clee was saying way out of context right there, Devon. Um, he was talking about evaluating guys on, you know, his impressions of guys. And trust me, he's focused on himself and um, he's not looking at it the way a coach would. Although I did ask him about Alex Leatherwood. And one thing that he did say about Alex Leatherwood was you can tell that he came from one of the premier programs because he already knows how to practice and conduct himself like a professional. I think that's going to uh, pay off pretty big time uh, for the Raiders, especially at offensive line. They're quiet guys to begin with. Um, they're intellectual guys uh, to begin with. They don't necessarily say a whole lot uh, to begin with. Um, they kind of do their job uh, very cerebrally. And you can tell, and I was always watching uh, Alex Leatherwood today in that little drill, which is an intellect drill. You have to know, what am I supposed to do here? Who am I supposed to pick up? Because if you pick up the wrong guy and you end up double teaming somebody with your line mate, somebody's running free, <laughs> and that could get your quarterback hurt, so or your running back plastered. So um, him being able to at this stage just pick up everything that um, 
that, that Tom Cable was trying to throw at him is a pretty good sign in terms of that. Now we'll see if he can, uh, if he can physically uh, you know, do what – pull off the job at that point. And you're not going to really see that or understand. I, chances are you look at the dude. He's a big guy, uh, athletic. Uh, he moves really, really well. He, he, been told already – uh, that that he's got it upstairs, so that shouldn't be a concern. Uh, and and I think physically he he will be able to pull it off. But again, that's something that we're going to have to wait uh, and and see. Um, in terms of Cleve Farrell, and in terms of um, what he's going to be asked to do, that's a little bit different. Uh, he did talk about playing under Gus Bradley and his early impressions of Gus Bradley, which is a huge deal right now. Um, and we haven't even really gotten into that. But here's Cleve Farrell on new defensive coordinator Gus Bradley. The biggest thing is the man. Um, Coach Bradley is a guy who's going to talk to you about your vision for your life. When you sit down and meet with him, he's going to talk to you about um, trust, respect. Um, Because in this league, we know a lot of things dealing with business can kind of take out the aspect of loyalty, being a good person. Um, So I think the biggest thing with Coach Bradley, I love, first of all, he's a good dude. You know what I mean? I think that that makes you want to play for a guy, you know, even more. That was Clee Farrell talking about Gus Bradley. And uh, I honestly, I mean, this is, you know, watching uh, the communication today, listening to the coaches and, and how they were instructing guys. There's a lot of teaching going on today, and it seemed like it was done in a very positive uh, fashion. Um, this isn't the old days where, um, you know, guys are cussing up a storm and berating guys and all that kind of stuff. I saw that, to be honest with you, uh, that 2016 um, uh, staff with the Rams, uh, Jeff Fisher and that crew, I heard a lot of that. I saw a lot of that. And, you know, it was the first time the NFL had come back to Los Angeles in years and years and years. And I'm thinking, ah, this just doesn't <laughs> – I don't know about this. You know, like, like the way they were treating those guys, it was just like – it was like it was 1970 or something like that. And to see the the difference a year later when McVeigh and his staff came in, and the teaching and the communication and the and the respect level was just night and day. And guess whose teams won and whose teams didn't? Uh, and guess whose teams performed better and whose didn't? And you know what? Guess whose teams played smarter uh, than the other team? The one that McVeigh coached, where there was a more but just better communication and and you know of course you're going to get yelled at of course you're going to get screamed at this is a uh, producer or 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 get yelled at kind of business but there's a way to do it and there's a way to do it in a way that is not beneficial but more productive and I think teaching is a big part of that part of this and just you know focusing on the defensive side of the ball today uh, and hearing what was being communicated and how it was being communicated, uh, I thought was a step in the right direction for this defense. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. I can say this, by the way, you're in the huddle with Vinnie Bonson. You're brought to you by Tequila and Bajador. Welcome back on a Wednesday. Got a chance to see the 2021 Raiders as currently constructed. Well, at least 83 of the uh, of the 89 players that are on the roster. Uh, Josh Jacobs wasn't there. Yannick Ngakwe wasn't there. Uh, Derek Carrier wasn't there. Divine Diablo, who hasn't signed his contract yet, wasn't there. Um, who am I missing? Uh, anyway, those are the those were the uh, the big names, so to speak, that that weren't there. I wouldn't sweat it. Uh, everyone 
you know, from what from what um, uh, at least Max Crosby said, Yannick Ngagwe is probably going to be here uh, fairly soon. Um, so. In any case, I think that the Raiders are in good shape as far as attendance goes. Guys are going to miss a day here or a miss, a miss a day there. It's just so, sort of how it works. Uh, what you're looking for is over the long haul of these next four weeks, the majority of players are, are in the building uh, on any given day, and I expect that to be the case uh, throughout this process. Remember, it will culminate with a mandatory uh, minicamp, three-day minicamp, uh, July 16th, 17th, and 18th. And at that point, it's see you later. Um, Have a nice break. And uh, we'll see everybody back here July 27th. Um, That's the day that uh, training camp is officially expected to begin. It's going to be uniformed throughout the NFL for the first time, really, in NFL history, where they're trying to get everybody um, to start their training camps roughly the same time. Now, that doesn't count for... The Dallas Cowboys, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and um, one other team. I'm missing the other team. But anyway, um, both of those teams are going to be – the Cowboys and, and Tampa Bay Buccaneers are playing in the uh, the season opener, which is on that Thursday. And then the team that I'm just drawing a blank on, uh, what, the Buffalo Bills. I forget who it is, but somebody's also playing in the um, – Hall of Fame game. So I uh, remember that preseason game always starts a little bit earlier, that Hall of Fame game. So they're, they're letting teams, those three teams, uh, start around July 21st just to get a leg up on, A, the, um, you know, the, the Hall of Fame game and then the early start to the regular season on that Thursday uh, before most teams are going to start on September 12th, between September 12th. And the 13th, the Raiders obviously open up the season September 13th, Monday Night Football against the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, but the two teams that are playing in the kickoff classic, so to speak, on that Thursday night get to start their training camp, get to uh, start their um, season a little bit earlier. Uh, we're going to go out to we're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line. Uh, Dana is in Boca Raton and wants to talk about uh, linebackers. Love Boca Raton, by the way. How you doing, Dana? Yeah, no, it's nice down here. It hasn't gotten too hot yet. Uh, how's everything going there, Vin? Uh, everything's good. Uh, the heat got turned up a little bit. We were in the 90s or so, uh, but it's still certainly yeah. not what it's gonna what's gonna be looking like here in about a month or so. It felt like the 90s outside. Yeah, I've been in the air conditioning for 12 straight hours at work, though. But uh, wanted to call in just to you know I don't get to call in very often. So busy, but the show's been great. You know, I really appreciate your reporting at this time of year. Now it's just. Like, you know, even in the morning, they were just so uh, looking forward to your, your once-a-week report on the, on Pritchett and Clay. And uh, I wanted to mention, too, that, uh, you know, when you, since Lincoln's been out, but um, when Sam steps in with you and, uh, and Q Myers has been fantastic, wanted to encourage definitely more Q would be a better thing. You guys really seem to feed off each other very well. Um, I agree. I was wanting to speak. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet you do. You, you guys can tell you get along well. Oh yeah, um, and the show is really great that way. Um, I, I was hearing the conversation earlier with Evan, and I uh, just I'm with you 100. Um, percent You know, I did a lot of studying up on Gus Bradley's defense. I wanted to kind of understand that they kept talking about it, and the more I read about it, and you know, I know it's it's changed a little over the years, but especially and uh, see what he did in L.A. Um, he used a lot of hybrid safeties in his defense, anyways, and a lot of he wants linebackers that can run. So I don't think it's going to take too long before we see 
more of Tanner Muse and more of on Diablo, who are kind of like those JOK-style players that I was hoping the Raiders were going to get with the first round. I'm totally happy with the draft, the way it happened. And I'm, I was stoked that Diablo was there in the third round. And I, and I know that Muse and Diablo were third-round picks, not first-round talents like JOK was considered to be. But uh, I just I think that the way he used Adrian Phillips and the way he used Kazir White at, uh, in L.A. with the Chargers, that he wants running backs that can run. We used uh, Kenneth Murray. I, I think that there's a big difference between four seven and the four four that those guys have. And I think before long, they, not only will they be the future, but they end up being in there a lot in the sub packages as uh, they learn the system. Yeah, and another player to keep it that that kind of uh, follows along those lines is uh, Drew Tranquil. Uh, that the Chargers drafted from uh, you know Notre Absolutely. Dame, and was a safety that trans- transitioned more to, to linebacker. Um, you know, we, again, okay, he had he's got uh, I forget how many tackles he had, but you know he got on the field, uh, and when they he lost they lost him for a little while. It was it was actually a more significant loss than than you would imagine um, for a player that was drafted in that position, who's what like a fourth round pick type of a thing, uh, but but situationally was getting on the field. Uh, for the Chargers. And, and, you know, when Evan had talked about some uneasiness, uh, you know, and he was talking about, you know, Lynn Bowden Jr. and and some of these other guys that, you know, were making position changes. And I understand the the Lynn Bowden Jr. one was just a misplay by the Raiders. They'll own it. Uh, They were trying to, you know, maybe get a little too clever right there. Um, and, and it kind of backfired on them, but they, they cut their losses, got, got a draft pick out of it and, and life moves on. Um, but, one thing that I wanted to mention, and I'm glad you brought this up, is that you know you, you have to separate it now between what happened before Gus Bradley was here uh, defensively and, and what's going to happen moving forward with Gus Bradley. Uh, so when you start talking about, oh, man, kind of uneasy about moving you know, uh, players making uh, uh, position changes because the Raiders in recent years haven't had a great, haven't had a great you know, success ratio of doing that, true enough – but you have to look now who's in charge of making those switches. And it's somebody that has a long track record now of pulling that off pretty much on a yearly basis. Uh, so, you know, uh, it's it's different now. You know, Gus Bradley is a difference maker in that regard. And you have to judge things. And, what you know, your confidence level has to be in him and his track record of pulling that off rather than what's happened here historically these last couple of years with the Raiders because Gus Bradley just wasn't here. Uh, so a guy like, you know, Divine Diablo, guys like Tanner Muse, that's kind of what Drew Tranquil was at Notre Dame. He was more of a, of a, of, of that kind of very versatile player that you could just kind of line him up all over the field, played a lot of, you know, uh, uh, safety and, and in the NFL is a linebacker. And he pulled it off. There's no reason – and I watched Tanner Muse today, and uh, he slipped a couple of times uh, out there on the turf, but he was moving around really good, and he's he's a big old dude, too. I have to say that. That dude's a big old dude, but he was flying around today, and that is in contrast to last year, you know, when we got a chance to, to, to watch him in training camp where he just looked slow. And I remember, you know, distinctly watching him during training camp thinking to myself, all right, well, maybe – you know, maybe he's just thinking too much out there right now. And maybe that's sort of slowing him down. And I'm sure that played a little bit of a role into it, you know, in the early stages of making a, uh, a transition like that without any OTAs. But as it turns out, he was hurt. And, uh, you know, honestly, I was like, well, you know, 
that makes a lot of sense. Like you, you, because I'm thinking, where's the explosiveness? Where's the speed? Where's the athletic ability that he flashed at Clemson and that we saw at the scouting combine when, when he really put on a freak show athletically, none of that was there. And you started to think, man, did the Raiders just miss on all that? Did, did he just deceive everybody with the athletic ability? Did that really happen? Well, when you're playing with a toe <laughs> that needs surgery, that's what's going to happen. So it was kind of like I'm sure with the Raiders, I, they they kind of knew that there was there was a little bit of an issue there. But I'm sure there was a little bit of a whew, a breath of fresh air when they when they or a sigh of relief when they realized and knew and were confirmed that yeah he's slow right now because he's playing. Uh, with a really, really, really painful toe that needed. I mean, like if, when I describe what they, they had to take a bone out uh, to to fix that issue that he was dealing with, um, and to give relief back, and and you know so that you could play without having to feel like this excruciating, excruciating pain. And so you watch Tanner Muse, and I saw him today, and he just looks physically much, much better, and the fluidity that he was running around with today, that's the first thing that I wanted to see or, or gauge. Where is he physically? Is he flying around the football field? And and he was um, in the time that I got a chance to see him. Now what I want to see, and you know, I'm sure the coaches feel the same way, is you know, um, how is he handling the mental aspect of it? He seems pretty smart. smart. So does Divine Diablo. So was Drew Tranquil. There's, I guarantee you, uh, there's a common thread, Cam Chancellor. There's a common thread among these players that, you know, Gus Bradley has successfully helped transition from a college position to an NFL position. They're smart. <laughs> and talking to Divine Diablo uh, when we got a chance to talk to him on draft night, that just jumped off uh, when you're talking to him that uh, he had like a, a presence about him and an intellect about him. Tanner Muse in the same way. Now, in Tanner's case, it's kind of like that gosh almighty, do, you know, that kind of way. But you can you can tell that the inside, when he talked to me about, hey, in the NFL, man, it's 53 players. You don't, it ain't college where you've got walk-ons and redshirt freshmen and guys that you can just pluck off the sidelines and put in the game in a desperate situation. You can't do that in the NFL. <laughs> you know, you've got three starters at linebacker and two, maybe three backups, um, and sometimes just two. <laughs> and so those two better be able to cover three different positions. And because at any given moment, one of them might have to go on the field. And at any other given moment, another of the backups has to be out there playing too, uh, a different position. So you, you have to learn all three positions. And, you know, that's going to make your head spin a little bit. But if, you, if you've got the, the intellect, um, and it sounds like these guys do, that gives them, you know, a, a much better chance. Uh, the key now is, you know, trying to get some of these young guys like Devon Diablo and Tanner Muse onto the field in certain packages, in certain situations, and then continually build off of that. Yes, if an injury happens, you have to be comfortable that they're going to be able to go in there and perform on a play-in and play-out basis. That's really, you need to get to that point as well. But, you know, prior to that, at first, you know, ideally, you just want to see, hey, you know, can you handle this? Can you handle that? If we put you on the field on third and sevens against that particular look, are you going to be able to get the job done? And if you can slowly but surely uh, get to that point and then build off that point, that's how players are, are, are made. You're in the huddle with Mini Monsignor brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. It's 
Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Chris wants to talk about the wide receivers. How are you doing, Chris? Hey, Vinny Triple B. How are you, my Paisan? I'm doing good, Paisan. All right. Well, I got two questions for you. I want, I'm a little worried about the wide receivers. No joke. We have three guys, Sneed, Doss, and um, Edwards, who can't separate. We have Ruggs, who has a legitimate speed, but I feel is underutilized. And, um, you know, maybe be a little raw running routes, they say, but I don't know. The guy seemed to perform every time he got the ball in his hands. Um, and then we have John Brown, who's the only legit guy we had. What happens if Waller goes down? What are our options? We have Moreau and Carrier, can't separate. Bunch of wide receivers who can't separate. What's the plan, God forbid, Waller goes down? Well, first of all, that would be uh, horrible. Um, he The offense goes through Darren Waller, no question about Absolutely. it. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I I push back a little bit on the, uh, you know, can't separate. Um, I think I think, you know, John Brown has shown that he can separate. Willie Sneed has shown that he can separate. Uh, Hunter Renfro, without a doubt, shows that he can uh, separate. Well, um, I guess what I mean is these are all one-speed guys. You know, these are guys, uh, Renfro, yes, I admit he has a, uh, he's legitimate, he can get the ball open, but he doesn't have, you know, I think what I'm trying to say is you have a bunch of guys who are all one-speed guys who really don't seem to, if they catch the ball, what are they going to do? Get, a five, get an additional five yards? You know what I'm saying? We don't yeah, have much explosion at the wide receiver in this day and age where it seems every other team is going that route. Yeah, and um, it's a valid point, no question about it. But I, but I think that you know um, Henry Ruggs can change that dynamic. I think with the ball in his hands, uh, he looked. When I saw him today, he looked more physically imposing uh, than he did last year. Uh, natural. Uh, for that kind of thing to happen, you know, between years one and two, uh, it was something that he absolutely had to work on. And sometimes being a stronger player adds to the explosiveness, the confidence, all of that. Uh, I would expect Henry Ruggs to take a step forward. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, if that happens, you're going to see somebody. You know, Wall is obviously number one. Jacob's number two. Drake is sprinkled in there. How many opportunities is, is Ruggs going to get? I mean, he's a top 15 pick. I'm expecting a guy to get 1,000 yards and at least 10 touchdowns this year. Is that feasible? Um, I mean, I, putting numbers on it, it's, it's, it's hard to say. Um, you know, I always talk about this when I covered the Rams. I used to get calls from fantasy football people like, who do I pick for wide receiver, you know, this week uh, between Cooper Cup and, you know, Robert Woods uh, and Brandon Cooks, let's go with that with that trio. And I was always like, I don't, you know, your guess is as good as mine because from game to game, it can change who's going to have the exploding, explosive game. Uh, but the point was, by the end of the year, all three were hovering around that, you know, 60, 70, 80 catch mark, uh, closing in on, you know, a thousand yards. Um, and so, I, 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 it's definitely feasible. And and one of the reasons I say that is because. You know, for, for, for Henry Ruggs to take that next step to get into that 
800, 900, 1,000 yard range along with uh, Darren Waller and maybe even one other wide receiver. And I say that because you have a coach in John Gruden who um, designs plays where lots of guys are going to get opportunities and even more so you've got a quarterback in Derek Carr who's one of those kind of ultimate um, point guard type quarterbacks. And he's, he does such a good job now with his command of this offense and, and his intellect at the line of scrimmage to figure out where the mismatches are and get the ball to exploit that mismatch. And what it's going to take for Henry Ruggs to be able to be one of those guys when Derek Carr gets to the line of scrimmage um, and, and believe in him as that mismatch is – Henry, Henry Ruggs is going to have to translate some touches into big plays. And I think he will. And once that happens, more confidence uh, in Derek Carr to get him the ball, more confidence in John Gruden uh, to design, not to design plays, but to call plays specifically for him. It's kind of a gradual process, uh, but I'd be shocked if that wasn't the case this year, if that didn't expand, if his touches didn't expand, his production didn't expand. Um, but you know, now you have a Henry Ruggs. Brian Edwards, you know, as well, I think there's definite separation uh, skills with Brian Edwards. He's faster than you think. Um, I think he's a fairly polished wide receiver. And the one thing also that he brings to the table is he can go up and get it. He's a big physical wide receiver. And when he wasn't in there last year, um, not only when he wasn't in there last year, but but the inability for him to build throughout the season into a more complete player and a more polished player um, and just an NFL player that got stunted because he had a, a, a pretty significant ankle injury that kept him sidelined for a little while. And then by the time he came back, he was playing catch up physically and in terms of his, you know, where he was in the whole scheme of things. Uh, if he can stay healthy and get off to a clean start and and sustain it, then I think he's going to continue to emerge and build uh, as a, as a player. And the confidence level that Derek Carr is going to have in him is going to expand as well too. So, are there question marks at wide receiver? No question about it, because Brian Edwards hasn't done it yet. Henry Ruggs, Ruggs to to any significant um, you know uh, extent hasn't done it yet, but yet can turn into oh, okay, he's doing it now. And that can change very, very quickly. And both players, I think, have the potential uh, to do just that. Now, having said that, um, you know, would the, welcome, would, the, would, the, would the Raiders welcome a guy like Julio Jones into the fold if that was realistic? Absolutely. Because then, to me, he takes the whole thing to another level. Is he the top five wide receiver that he's been in the past? Probably not. He's closing in on 32 years old. Uh, but this is a guy that when he's healthy, and that's more often the case than not um, dramatically in his career, this guy produces at a high level. And you start thinking about that certainty, what he brings to the table when he's healthy alongside of Darren Waller. Um, it takes a little bit of pressure, more pressure off of um, guys like Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards, who you can keep implementing into the into the whole situation and building on the whole situation. Um, that would be great. But you know that's that's probably a long shot uh, at, at this point. Although, you know the the NFL announced today that uh, or word came out uh, that the that the salary cap floor is going to go up to what two hundred five million dollars uh, next year. That's a pretty big jump, and it changes the calculus on certain things. Like if you're the team like the Raiders, um, now that you know what that salary cap floor is going to look like next year, it's probably a little bit easier to bring in a guy like. 
a salary like um, you, you know Julio Jones and be able to manipulate it maybe on a restructure for this year to get the number down a little bit um, and, and push it off you know to, to next year where that sa- that salary cap is going to be different. So uh, we'll see. But yeah, concerns about the wide receiver group. Until they do it, you have to be. Uh, but the potential is there without question. I want to say thanks to our good friend Evan Grote for joining us uh, in the huddle. It was a great day today to be out here at uh, the Raiders practice facility and watch practice. Um, it's been a little bit too long. Uh, can't wait for the next one, which will be next Wednesday. Uh, I want to say thanks to all the callers uh, for all the questions and the insight and everything that you guys bring to the table. You're why we do this. I want to say thanks uh, to Devon Cotton uh, for, for everything that, uh, that he does. Really appreciate the staff here at, um, uh, at the Raiders facility. Alexandria uh, does a fantastic job, as always. Um, and happy vacation, by the way, Alexandria. Going to go uh, up to uh, up to Buffalo and upstate New York uh, and visit friends and family. So uh, wish you well on that trip. And we will be back at it tomorrow, four to six p.m. in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila and Butter.